0: In this episode I feature painter, sculptor, Jules Arthur. His artwork is the expression of an informed and curious mind, a creative soul, and a careful but sympathetic heart. The common thread within the diverse themes of his canvases is the portrayal of the human condition as experienced by individual personalities framed by his art at the instant of poignancy. His work reveals personal moments of pride and introspection, of struggle and triumph. The result is sometimes touched by a haunting sense of despair, but far more often Jules shows us hardship yielding to internal beauty, dignity, uplift, and hope. His visualizations are rendered with the deft draftsmanship of a careful artisan and technician. Jules employs a wide range of art medium techniques, from charcoal to oil painting, and enjoys the creative use of woods, metals, paper, leather, and more, often in a multimedia, mixed presentation. His work ranges from portraiture to historical themes and includes some experimentation with abstract studies. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast, and enjoy this episode featuring Jules Arthur. Thank you. Welcome, Jules. It's a pleasure to have you join me today on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. It's great to be here with you, Phyllis. I really appreciate this invite. Thank
0: I I, uh, very much appreciate your work, your sculptures, your paintings. So I thought to myself, well, let's definitely feature him. So let's start off with you telling us about yourself. When in your life did you realize that you are an artist?
1: Um, okay. So my name is Jules Arthur. Um, I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. I uh, moved to New York City in 1995 to attend the School of Visual Arts. And I've been living and loving it since. Uh, as far as when did I realize I was an artist? I would say when I met my contemporaries. And I was, I was, I've always stood out. Um, throughout my youth as, you know, this talented kid with a gift. You know, I remember adults constantly um, giving me um, praise over my ability at such a young age, and I always stood out. But upon entering college, I met other students and artists who had um, a talent that was equal or greater than mine. And at that point... I realized, or classified myself as an artist, because it kind of just became natural um, to me. But when I saw I was doing things at, at such a level, I said, well, you know, I, I can call myself an artist. I believe it was when I started attending School of Visual Arts.
0: So what, what was your experience like at uh, the School of Visual Arts?
1: I would, my experience at School of Visual Arts, I would describe it as absolutely magical, you know, because um, coming from the Midwest and into an environment like this, it was just uh, night and day. My father is originally from uh, New York City. So I grew up with stories about the city itself. So I, I had a certain romantic feeling about it. So when I got here, there's that aspect of it alone, just being in this environment and being introduced to this international flair, this whole Caribbean vibe, the artistry, the pace. It just opened my eyes and mind to a a totally new way of being. So yeah, it, it it was really incredible. And You know, the school itself, I describe it as one of the best moves I've done. Um, And that's because I find it very important to, as an artist, to surround yourself by artists who are, you know, of equal talent or greater than for growth. And that's where I first came into contact with that, you know, um, experience. Uh, Like I said before, I've always stood out. So uh, it, during my years at the school, represented one of the greatest um, growth periods in my education. You know, so I I think back on that time and it's just incredibly special. And uh, I have a lot to be thankful for during that time period.
0: So let's talk about your process. I was initially uh, drawn to your paintings and then I discovered your sculptures. So please share what the guests, that transition from painting to creating these beautiful sculptures, these, these busts that sure. you have graceful. Yep. yeah,
1: yeah. They do kind of represent two different um, phases of my creative experience. You know, I just started um, sculpting maybe three years ago. I dove deep into that, but prior to that, I had been drawing and painting for my entire life, from day one, I could remember, you know, having that gift for that and started to take it serious upon entering college. Then after college, I got a couple of commissions that allowed me to quit my day job. I was a manager of a health club on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And I took that leap to, you know, quit the day job, and I'm going to put all my efforts into my practice and profession. And uh, I never looked back. That was, I think, 2006 when I made that transition. And I was painting. So my body of work is known for painting. That was kind of my passion or my interest lied. And um, I I thrived in that for years. And then, mm, I would say 2018 a shift happened my, you know, I'm always looking for new creative outlets. Um, And I think it was a number of friends who were sculpting that I I took notice of and said, you know, let me just try that. Um, And what I was looking at was sculpture, you know, working in clay and then through the casting process onto the bronze or various um, contemporary materials. If you were to look back at my painting and those body of works, there were signs of my interest in sculpture because I would use a number of found objects, materials that kind of created a sculptural, it it is sculptural in essence, but still a two-dimensional flat surface with painting. But um, sculpture bit me like that bug bit me in 2018 and I just ran with it and uh, if you ask me what do I prefer do I have a preference over it I, I don't I still have a love for painting but I think the newness of sculpture really has me you know creatively at the moment
0: can you remember what inspired you to include wood and fabrics into your paintings
1: sure You know, my um, inclusion of these materials and found objects were based on my desire to tell a wider story. And that was through the addition of what I call design devices, you know, um, materials that are associated with the subject matter that can further tell the story. Um, just by the introduction of a particular pattern can speak about era or uh, a region of the world, you know, like kinte cloth will speak of Africa or French Rococo design on, uh, on a material will speak of that era. So I love to transport the viewer to times and places and emotionally tie them into the subject that I'm speaking about. So that's where that started. My selection of materials or objects.
0: And in and, and some of your paintings, you draw from historical giants like Jack Johnson and Muhammad Ali. Share with us what motivated you to focus on that type of personality for those individuals.
1: Sure. You know, um, Jack Johnson and Muhammad Ali and a number of others represents my, um, my position of being a student of history. You know, a lot of my work reflects history, historical moments, um, and people. And, uh, I'm not too big of a fan of sports, but my interests with these two individuals, um, pertain to how they transcended their sport and how they affected, uh, society. In history itself, um, I have a special relationship with Muhammad Ali through my father. My father was a huge boxing fan. So I grew up watching fights, uh, his fights on tapes and documentaries on Ali. And, uh, you know, as we all know, Ali is an incredible, giant hist- uh, historical figure. So it was only. Um, A matter of time before I dove artistically into representing him um, as an activist, as a a leader, as an ambassador of goodwill. So I've there I have several paintings of Muhammad Ali in various forms, and Jack Johnson as well. Um, He was the first heavyweight African American champion of the world. And you can imagine how that rocked society and the ripple effects of that. I I was first inspired by him by Ken Burns' documentary "Unforgivable Blackness," which I recommend everyone see. And it speaks of this incredible figure way before his time, um, in his his accolades and his his demeanor, and in his. Um, ability to just buck the system, you know, blacks are supposed to know their place, you know, by this diminished type of character. And he stood against that. He stood erect and just um, lived a very bold life. So I definitely wanted to portray that in my work. And I've done several paintings of him that you know, celebrates that type of cavalier uh, individual. You know, and of these we we're talking about materials. I utilize that that method as well by selecting materials associated with boxing itself. So you will see leather and canvas and the old floorboards of old gyms, um, the signage, the vintage signage and sports bills. I'm talking about their fight card or those old vintage tickets that I put on it. Again, all design devices to bring the viewer into that era and seduce them into this boxing world. You know, I love doing that with my pieces.
0: I noticed that with your sculptures, you follow through with the historical theme and that you create busts for both John Lewis and James Baldwin. So let's now transition from talking about your paintings to talking about sculpting. Uh, so share with us the transition, you mentioned it before, and how you decided to create busts of these individuals as well as some of the uh, a female figure I saw on your website.
1: <laughs> well, like I said, I, I started um, this sculpting sculpture uh, venture three years now. And again, my work um, has one common thread through it is celebrating historical figures giants from the past i have this this saying in my head that i want my work to be with purpose meaning choosing worthy subjects that speak volumes about the human condition and what we're going through and no one uh speaks louder than that than these two individuals that we're talking about now John Lewis and James Baldwin. John Lewis is could be considered one of the greatest contemporary inspirations in in certain movements and you know the the plight for justice you know and equality and that's exactly what I want my art to be about celebrate. So he was I believe my first Portrait bust that I did. You know, I, I was studying sculpture there for a while, but as far as me selecting what I want to say with my work, it was um, the John Lewis and James Baldwin busts, busts. Again, you'll see a lot of my work deals with portraiture. And in these two pieces, the magic that I like to um, bring forth is the ability to capture these individuals with all of their contributions. You know, a a portrait is kind of a static image. So my attempt in these is to go beyond just accuracy or to record them in a, a pure way. These men were of so much substance. So how do you bring that into these pieces. And it's um, what I try to capture behind their eyes, in the composition of the pieces themselves, um, in their demeanor, in their posture, a chin up, chin down. Um, in the James Baldwin piece, you'll see that his base is made up of his novels, you know, his, his work, what he did in life. And so it's Giovanni's room, Go tell it on the mountain, and the fire next time. It's a stack of his books that are the actual base, you know. And such approaches that it further gives power to the narrative, you know. Again, me trying to move around, move away from just uh, a, a pure, accurate depiction of these individuals. I want the viewer to be emotionally connected to it, the, to these individuals, or to the subject, and walk away with a sense of empowerment or a connectivity as humans and what they do for us and how they picked up the torch and fought and passed the torch on, you know, that's, uh, I love that idea in regards to my own work.
0: When I was in Art Basel and, and saw you there, I was captivated by the wall sculpture that was hanging I guess it was bronze, but the men appeared that they were on a slave ship mm-hmm. rowing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Talk to us about that.
1: Yes. Okay. So that piece was, uh, I did in 2019. And it spoke about um, something that I was studying at that point, And it's um, the Dodafuna Canoe. And this was a boat discovered in Nigeria in, I believe, 1987. There was a farmer out in the field digging, you know, his irrigation. irrigation. And he came upon uh, a boat, a wooden boat, tapping in the soil. And he called the local university to come out to investigate. It could seem pretty important. He noticed that the wood was very old. And they discovered what came to be the... I believe it's the second or the third oldest boat discovered on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. And what makes this remarkable is that it was found in Africa. And that in itself challenges the notion of maritime tradition, meaning boat building. Who were the first boat builders in society? And a lot of historians will say, you know, Europe was the first to build the boats. But this challenges that notion because this boat dates back 8,000 years ago. So again, as an artist and the the subjects I choose to depict, this fascinated me to such a degree. And it was almost immediate. My, my mind started spinning with, Compositions on how to tell this story. This was Africans with early, early abilities to create crafts that navigated waters and rivers and even the oceans. You know, so I wanted to tell that story. This was early, early on. So in the piece, you'll see an African rowing a boat in the tradition of um, collegiate rowers. You know, that's one of the most celebrated forms of boating today. And in this piece, my approach to it talks about, well, how far does this technology go back? How was this cel- the tradition of boat making and who was practicing it? And again, my work always centers, not always, but uh, predominantly centers around African, African African-American, Caribbean, Afro-Caribbeans, contributions to society. And in this piece, this called Congo Rowing Club, it suggests that we have been participants in the cultivation of these sciences, sports, whether it's culture or commerce. We have played important roles in the development of some of the most celebrated aspects of life. So again, to go back to the piece itself, it is four African rowers on a, on a rowboat, I mean, a, a rowing boat. The composition is, it hangs vertically on the wall with the oars laid out, and it, it creates a, a, like almost a, a dynamic star shape on the wall.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful piece. It's a, a striking piece, Thank actually. Thank you. And I'm really curious that given the current political environment that we're in, mm-hmm. and COVID, how is it impacting your creativity?
1: It has definitely impacted my creativity. You know, uh, as an artist, you want your ideas and your energy free-flowing. And sometimes that's difficult, depending on... we're talking about the political environment or this pandemic. I consider myself an optimistic, so I don't get too down on myself, but in the beginning months of this pandemic, it did affect me in ways. You know, at the start of this year, I had been going strong 10 hour days in the studio and just really diving deep into my creativity, being prolific. And the the pandemic hit, and right around March, I had to make a decision to uh, stay at home. You know, that's what our city, our, our mayor, and our governor said: stay home. So I hated that. I just made that natural tr- a transition to start working from home. You know, I, it was my artistry is my salvation, so I had to keep that up. But in those months it did affect me. My, I stopped working there for a couple of months as I just sat and watched the TV and watched this uh, this unfold, unbelievable. The, you know, this, this the sci-fi movie was real, (laughs) right? Right. Uh, It's just hard to wrap your mind around that, that this is actually happening, you know? So how do you, as an artist, how do you keep up your creative energy? And I didn't, you know. I just kind of I and that, I took a huge break. I watched a lot of movies, watched a lot of YouTube videos, interviews, and then, um, you know, I there was concerns about well, how is this going to affect my future? You know, as an artist, am I going to keep all of this afloat? You know, I talking to other friends, and they were going through their challenges, and then. You know, slowly but surely, I started, that phone started ringing to my surprise with people's interest in commissions or the talks of projects. So I am extremely, extremely fortunate that I have been able to survive these, this moment as an artist. You know, that, that spigot wasn't closed off for me, it, it continued. And in some ways, it increased surprisingly, again, that interests were coming in this strange time. Artistically and financially, I am in a good place, but I'm, I'm concerned, of course, about getting out of this. And our political environment is not helping at all. <laughs> no, not at all.
0: You know, this has been a great conversation. And um, so I'm going to ask you one more question. And you've answered my question indirectly a few times during this interview but I want to I just want to ask it one more time and that is you know what impact do you want to have as an artist what do you think the role is of an artist
1: the role of an artist is so multi dimensional it's as simple as whatever the artist wants it to be or what their capacity will allow it to be you know If you're an introvert and you want to dive deep into your practice and your work never seen, that's okay to me. I'm totally fine with that. If that's your creative outlet and you're creating masterpieces on your own, I support that. Other roles of an artist is to speak about the human condition, to express what it is to be human, you know, through um, reenacting all the elements that make us human are food, fashion, music, history, science art can touch upon all of these things you know it's it's basically I come from the approach there really shouldn't be a lot of rules placed on art and artistry. It needs to be free flowing and the minute you say it must be this or must be that I think it, it's it's steering its its abilities in a um, and not healthy way. But uh, another role of the artist is to educate. And that's a role that I like to take on in my work is to enlighten people on a subject that they may know or may not know, which in turn may cause them to investigate even further into it based on what they've seen in my work. That's, that's incredible, you know, ability to me. And then there, of course, is the, the activist voice in art. And that is in times one needs to speak out and speak up and throw their hat in the ring and speak out, you know, if they want things to change, you know, if they want inequality to change, if they want, um, oppression to stop, art becomes that perfect vehicle to speak loudly and boldly, you know, in this human way that we all kind of associate with. And it, it becomes that bullhorn. And I've seen so many examples of that. And it's it's inspiring in itself. So art becomes all of these encompassing, powerful tool in itself to really um, create change, to sensationalize or to titillate. Or to entertain or to, it's art is just all of the above to me, and it's an honor to practice it and to you know be surviving off of my passion in life.
0: Well, thank you for the work that you do. Um, you've done a fine job educating us and bringing to light issues that uh, continuously confront us, uh, our society is especially now. So I wanna thank you for your time and thank you for the the work that you do.
1: Thank you, Phyllis. I really appreciate your position and what you're doing for the arts as well.
0: Yeah, It's it's a pleasure, believe me. I really enjoy it. It's my therapy. (laughs) You take care. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks Podcast. For additional content, please visit cerebralwomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.